This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Dick Johnson is dead, but smiling politely. Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Hi! Hello! <laughs> out, out Now is a, a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most of your review, the occasional commentary track, or something completely different. Uh, this is uh, our episode 421. 421. That's, uh, that sounds like a... The... It's something like a room where you don't want to enter. I mean, what, what was that room in, in uh, The Shining? The it's, Shining. That, it's never the one that you think it is. 236. 237. 237. Yeah. Okay, we're way beyond that. I should look this up what the, that episode This is was. the other room that you don't want to enter, is what it is. I like the zip code thing you were doing for a while. <laughs> the area code? The area code. Yeah, not the zip code. I don't think 420. I, I'm going to guess it's Las Vegas, Area 51. But we're, it's 421. We're not even close to that to begin with. You're looking it up right now, aren't you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking up 237 for an episode. I don't think that they're... Incredibles in. 2 was 237. I mean, that is a haunted movie. That's crazy. It's been t- it's been almost 200 episodes since we talked about Incredibles 2 on this podcast. Yeah, we don't have... That's a not true. I mistyped it on my thing. It was episode 327. Or th- there you go. Or 3... I was like, yeah, that's impossible. No, yeah, I messed it up. Because like, that didn't make any sense to me. So I got it. For one thing, I, I got to correct that on the blog. We are so late into this intro, but I, this yes, is so necessary. Yeah. It's for the Czechoslovakia. So <laughs> there you go. What's we the real term 37? Okay, here it is. The Huntsman Winter's War. That's episode 237. That's a, yeah, that's a perfect encapsulation of the <laughs> training. That's so much worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. It could be pretty great. Anyway, this week on the... What was the zip code? Or sorry, it's the area for, code. It's for Czechoslovakia. Czech- it's, there, Czechoslovakia. There isn't one in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. We okay. did it. Did it. Good. That was that spent that was time spent. Okay. <laughs> Let's get to what were we talking about this week? We're talking about Dick Johnson is Dead, the new documentary on Netflix available now, uh, directed by Kirsten Johnson, uh, focused on her father, Dick Johnson. Um, we thought we'd mix it up this week. Talk about a documentary because I think there's a lot to get into on that one. And we don't talk about documentaries nearly enough on this podcast. Uh, we love them, exactly. Exactly. We very much do. We talk. We talk about. We talk about our lover documentaries a lot. We ever do like full reviews though. Regardless, joining us for this episode for Dick Johnson is Dead. We have from Why So Blue. He slipped on a banana peel and fell down an elevator shaft earlier, but he's here now. It's Peter Paris. <laughs> hey everybody. Hi Peter. How are you doing, Peter? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, hoping that the uh, the heat of LA lately is subsiding because I think this week's going to be not so hot. So um, I'm hoping for that. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I agree. Uh, nice and cool for the parade you guys going to have in like a few days. Wait, what'd you say? It'd be nice and cool for the parade you guys will have in the, in the next few days. Wait for the what? <laughs> parade. The parade. The NBA finals. Oh, the parade. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Likely going to win the NBA finals. Right. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall good. I've been trying to, uh, start my horror, my, my October of horror. So mm-hmm. great. Well, uh, well, it. well, good thing you mentioned that because let's get to some show notes here. First up, okay. speaking of horror, October has begun. And while it's not required that you can only watch horror movies in October, we do like to have these special horror themed bonus episodes, which we've begun. Um, our first one was released. It was for a diversity in horror. That's available now everywhere you can find our show. A lot of fun to record. We have all our regulars, Brandon Peters, Jimmy O, and Jason Coleman. 
we're all and, and Abe and I, of course, we're all we're talking plenty about horror movies and what have you. So that was a lot of fun. That's out there now. This coming week, because we'll have one every week for October, we'll be talking Friday the 13th in honor of its 40th anniversary. So stay tuned for that. A lot of cool stuff coming out of the uh, our horror episodes. They're always a lot of fun to do. Uh, so be prepared for those. Uh, let's see what else. Speaking of which, we do a commentary every month that will tie into these horror specials. This month's commentary track is going to be for Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. So keep that in mind because I'm a huge fan of Psycho and we'll have plenty to say about that movie. Okay, what else? iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps start our show. Helps other people find our show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for out now there in name. You can do just that, and you can give us a rating and review. That'd be great. Send us all the five stars. Exactly. All the five stars. Um, so, what else? We are talking about a documentary this week. Speaking of documentaries, the Newport Beach Film Festival is currently underway, and I was going to talk about my lovely girlfriend's programs that she has set up, but instead of me talking about it and just babbling on and not knowing what the hell I'm talking about, I figured, why not bring my lovely girlfriend onto the podcast so she can talk about them and do a much I know, better Aaron, job? You should have listened to what I told you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what we've done. So here she is now, the lovely on the lovely right to recite herself, Miss Anna Bosch. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well, and AP did take your advice, so here I am. <laughs> bang bang boom. Yeah. So <laughs> Anna, as as you've brought to my attention, yes. the Newport Beach Film Festival is here. Why don't you talk about what's going on and and what you what you specifically are doing? Alrighty. So yes, the 21st annual Newport Beach Film Festival has now gone virtual. And it started last Thursday. It runs to October 11th. And I have two short documentary programs this year that I would highly recommend viewing. The first program is titled Nature's Short Tales Docs. This uh, program film series includes The Bee Farmers, which is a film that is about a program in Washington State that keeps America's crops pollinated as they rent bees out to residential customers which in turn uh, is able to use to pollinate crops in the United States. Neat. The next film is 25-0 East Africa, and this documentary follows Tim Jarvis, a polo explorer, just le- learning more in- about the vulnerable glaciers that are disappearing. Next is Violet is Blue, a tale of Gibbons and Guardians. And this one is in regards to the plight of Gibbons in the wild, and the sacrifices their caregivers take at this con- conservatory of the Gibbons. Next is All That Remains, and this is directed by Eva Rendell, and it's about the wildfire- wildfires that ravaged Northern California's wine country. Hmm. And oh. the last one that wraps up the... Oh, yeah, and that one's really good, too, because it talks about more following the second responders and the vineyard workers and even the undocumented farmers and how... It affected them in the aftermath of a fire. That is interesting. And the last film that wraps up this program is titled Resilience. And it focuses on U.S. Special Operations veterans from Force Blue Partner with a Floridian turtle hospital that helps turtles that are suffering from a universal tumor-producing disease that promises their capacity for survival. You've had me a turtle hospital. I'm into that one right now. Yeah. I I didn't know those existed. Yeah, and so this is a set of five films in the program titled Nature Short Tales Docs. The next program is titled Short Docs Under Tension, and the films included in this program, the first one is titled Siren, and this one, it discusses of how, like, there's a siren that breaks throughout the country on Memorial Day in Israel, 
And for one character in the film, it's a constant reminder of the trauma that one survivor is trying to leave behind. The next film, titled What's This Country Called Now, is one that follows a Bosnian woman who worked as a reporter throughout the siege of Sarajevo. And it shares one man's experience of 1914. And the last film, this one's a little bit shorter. It's only three films. The last one here wraps it up is titled Back from the Brink. It's a film that kind of tries to set out to more comprehend the suicide epidemic among veterans throughout the lens of a former comrade and how their marriage and life are threatened by PTSD and having to go through intensive treatment. And it just allows them to share that story more. Those are three short Docs again in the titled program Short Docs Under Tensions. Well, very cool. And yeah, you can stream them now. I would totally like recommend to do so, of course. There are other, there's three ways to view films for this year's festival, and it's all on the website. Or you can also just go straight to my blog, righttorecite.wordpress.com. And when you go to my blog, it'll take you to um, how you can purchase tickets. But they do have like a festival pass for $75. And it gives you access to all of the NBFF 2020 films. And there's no time restrictions. You can, like, you can watch it now or the last day. It's not, like, a, a set time schedule, a yeah. window for you to pop into. Like, that. some festivals were doing that where it's, mm-hmm. like, you only have a time, the certain time limit. The festival has allowed it to just be extension from, like, last Thursday to October 11th. So you have plenty of time to you know pop some popcorn sit down relax if you really enjoy some documentaries these are a couple of programs that have you know really well done docs for you to view at the safety of your home so that's nature's short tales docs and short docs under tension that is correct and the link is that you can find all of those at your link on your blog right to recite.wordpress.com i'll put a link to that in the show notes of course um so everyone can you know check out in more detail what's going on and how you can watch and everything um, these yes. sound great, though. I really, I really like the what what you've described here in these various programs, especially Turtle Hospital, obviously resilience. <laughs> I hope it sounds exciting. I'm like literally just waking up because Aaron and I went to see Tenet last night in Riverside. Hey, <laughs> at a drive-in. At a drive-in. At a drive-in. At a drive-in. We went to Riverside because so, like, I... the popcorn's great there. That's. <laughs> So apologies if I do sound like, you know, like jury, <laughs> like explaining these, but I am very excited about this. I'm just, I have a, that tired, just woke up sound because again, like we just went, I, we didn't, what, you dropped me off at home, like around 1130 ish. It's, it was a long <laughs> drive, but I am excited about this set of lineup, this lineup of um, programs. So definitely, like I was saying, if you do enjoy programs that dealing with documentaries, these are two solid programs that would be worth your purchase. Well, very cool. I, I appreciate you coming on here to describe these docs for you because, again, you did a much better job than I would have trying to like get my way through these, um, as far as <laughs> doing them proper justice that you have done just now. But I <laughs> do hope that listeners uh, check it out because, yeah, this is, we are we just talked about this last week. We are on an opportunity where people have more of a chance to see films at film festivals than they normally would based off all the virtual film festivaling that's taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope people do go in and check them out. Again, I'll put the link to the show notes um for for your blog and how you can you know get there directly uh but yeah thank you very much anna for coming on thank you anna no problem thank you aaron and thank you Abe, for letting me pop in real quick <laughs> for sure. to yeah. go over those yeah peter Enjoy come on real quick show peter come on real quick and say hi <laughs>
I'm here. <laughs> hey, Anna. Hi, Peter. How's it going? Hello, hello. Uh, it's, it's going good. Uh, you, yeah, I saw I saw your uh, photos. You guys went to Tenant. Yes. Yep. Super exciting. Yep. It was a fun experience. I still have not seen it, so. Well, then you should definitely take a drive to a drive-in and see it. It's not bad. I, I know I was commenting on Aaron's post about it. Not to go too long, but... I know this is not his preferred way to see a movie. And I know when this came out, I was like, hey, I know it's not ideal to go into a movie house at this point. Like, why not try and go to a drive-in? So, like, many weeks have passed. And finally, he was like, hey, you want to try the drive-in? And I honestly, in my opinion, it was still, like, I mean, A, a drive-in is just fun experience just in general. But, like, the movie, was, it played well. Like it wasn't bad. Even the audio, like in our the the through the, the car, the FM radio station, it was pretty. I think because it was. I know people are like complaining about like the the quietness of like not being here to dialogue, but I think because we're in a compact space in the car, it was just more audible. I would. But, yeah, agree. it was fun. I would agree. I don't want to get too far into it now for when we eventually yeah. do a tenant episode, but um, but no, I. But I'm just saying, Peter needs to go to a drive-in. Is what I'm saying. Okay. I would, I would love that. I would. Yeah, you should make out with yourself, Peter. <laughs> I'll just add, I'll add once again. Be like, hey, it's getting kind of chilly in here, Peter. I'll, <laughs> I'll add, I'll add once again. Sure, like it would be great to see the film in a certain format, but the preferred mm-hmm. way I wanted to see it was with you and having a great time, and we did that. So I'm very happy about that. Oh, uh, you, you big old. <laughs> Movie, you. All right. Okay, this is getting gross. This is okay. I'll exit now. But have a good show. I know I haven't been able to say that in a while, but I hope you all have a you know great time recording. Don't forget to press the recording button, making sure it's recording. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, thanks for having me pop in. Thank you. Babe. Thank you. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday morning. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Bye. Ciao. All right. Should have said, I'll see you in the car later. <laughs> uh, thank you, Anna, for joining us real quick there to talk about the Newport Beach Film Festival shorts, as well as some brief thoughts on Tenet. And yes, it has been seen. There, We'll, we'll see what happens as far as how Abe and I plan to address Tenet on this podcast eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's... Uh, Let's get let's get back on uh, on track here and start getting into the rest of the show. We've gone over our show notes, so now let's get to one of my favorite segments of the show. What we would have talked about this week were things not to become such a dreaded journey into the rest of the year. Um, all right. So this is where we go over the films that would have come out this week were things not to have changed into the post-Bloodshed era that we currently reside in. There are actually two movies that would have come out originally this week where things were release dates not to have changed at all. I will say that just recently Wonder Woman 1984 would have come out this week. But of course, that movie was already moved from its original June date. So, these are the movies that were really going to come out at the beginning of the year at this time. So, here's the first one. Venom: colon, Let There Be Carnage, the sequel to Venom. Huh. This is the oh, I forgot about that. This well, <laughs> you're going to learn about it now because this is the film that start that's directed by Andy Serkis. And stars, of course, Tom Hardy, but adds Woody Harrelson, a returning Michelle Williams, and Naomi Harris, apparently, has joined the cast as well. So we got a, you got the sequel to Venom, but the main thing is obviously the carnage factor of Woody Harrelson. Peter, were, were you looking forward to, granted, we haven't seen any trailers yet beyond, like, the title reveal, which, in my opinion, is kind of excellent, Let There Be Carnage, but were you excited for a sequel to Venom? 
I was not, although I actually recently rewatched, although kind of a funny thing. No, I wasn't excited, but because of the pandemic, I ended up watching Venom again with my girlfriend because I only saw it at like the screening and then didn't think much of it. And because and, because you didn't think much of it, you're like, I have thousands of things I know are probably great. I should watch Venom again. Well, no, it was actually she <laughs> wanted to see it. Okay, she didn't fair, fair it. enough. <laughs> yeah, um, but I will say that the first half of the movie, I was like, ah, this is all right. I was like, maybe this isn't the worst thing ever. Maybe I was like too hard on this or whatever. But yeah, like once it gets to even though I do think it is Tom Hardy doing the voice of Venom, right? Yes, he's 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 like, he, he's also the caterer. Like he does so many things on Venom. Right. Like there's, I mean, I I don't, I, I chuckled a little at some of Venom's quips or whatever, but uh, his Venomisms. Like, yeah, Venomism. <laughs> but it really just it, it just it just feels like um uh, like a pretty not garbage, but it, it just it's just kind of a mess <laughs> in a, a kind of movie. Like it's just like. Eh. I mean, but you know, it's Tom Hardy. So like, again, those first 40 minutes or whatever, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm like, I like Tom Hardy and like, he's always enjoyable, but, eh. and then that guy, who's the guy who's the bad guy? Riz Ahmed's like, the bad Riz guy. Ahmed. Yeah. yeah. Like I like him normally, but it's, it's such a lame. It's a nothing role. Yeah. You're yeah right. It's a nothing role. And like, I just, but, but like, there's little things like, I like the, op- as I recall the opening, I like that we're seeing, um, the, the, the other, um, symbiote we're seeing it kind of go from person to person like that stuff i kind of liked i was like oh i like that i forgot it's kind of horror movie like like eh, eh. so no but no to answer your question no i was not thinking of a venom sequel at all i just ironically rewatched venom recently because of unironically yes exactly abe how about you are you looking forward to my favorite Venom? venom quote yeah one of my favorite venom quotes is uh Good night, Mrs. Chen. Um, but, uh, <laughs> That's your New York transplant to San Francisco accent. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to go with like the gruff Tom Hardy voice. Um, it's but not even I, gruff. It's like a, it's like a weird Brando thing he's doing. Or I don't, I, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's a soft. Uh, it's like soft Italian but abrasive. It's like a soft but abrasive at the same time. <laughs> It's just Tom Hardy, <laughs> um, the lovable Tom Hardy. I would have been interested to see it. I, I, you know, given that Venom itself, I, I, I don't think I liked it as much as you did. Um, but I did not like the movie. <laughs> oh, you did not. <laughs> yeah, maybe I liked only one scene a little bit more. But in any case, I would have been interested to see it, mostly because I thought that it was ridiculous for them to have a, a stinger and be like Woody Harrelson. And then he's got like goofy. He's got a goofy redhead <laughs> wig on. Like it looks, it looks clownish, right? And you're yes. like, we know what Woody Harrelson looks like. Um, so I would have been interested to see because you, the the people that you named, that's that's some heavy hitting. You know, yeah. Naomi Harris, Woody Harrelson, like Andy Serkis direct. Andy Serkis. <laughs> so it would have been interesting to see what they would have done with it because it, this is something that somebody pointed out online on Twitter or something like that, where it's like uh, Tom Hardy always looks. He, he always hides behind a mask of some sort. He's never, like, the pretty boy in a movie. And when he is, it actually works out. Like, for example, Exception, where it's like, you know, you can be, like, a pretty boy and still be acting. But what they said about Venom was, like, they were just saying that they appreciated that he never got cleaned up for it. Meaning, like, he's always sweaty and he's always, like, um, in a state of, like, 
terror or state of like confusion. He always um, looks like and, a guy that's like been in a uh, one bedroom apartment that has only Tostitos in like yes, exactly. the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it's so it actually it, it works out for the character of Eddie Brock, you know what I mean? Like it's not as I was like, oh at the end he's like a handsome guy with like, you know, perfectly white teeth or whatever. It's like no, this guy is just like he's he's dealing with like a, a freaking virus that has entered his body and then uh, he just uh, eats a lo- live lo- lobster in the tank. It's pretty it's pretty <laughs> interesting. But I would have been interested to see it. How about you? I mean, yes, because of just the people involved. I like I- I'm curious to see Andy Circus directing Venom. I you know, you got Tom Hardy and Woody Harrell's like rid- as ridiculous as he looks in the stinger of Venom, like Woody yeah. Harrell's in adds to movies in my opinion so the uh, what i'd like to think is that they real like after making that first movie and realizing that yes it's bad but obviously tom hardy's giving it his all if the sequel's like well let's just do more of the thing that worked really well then i'm all for that like if it's you know if it cuts the fat as far as the generic plot and what have you and focuses more on you know tom hardy and lobster tanks like that's what you need (laughs) to make that movie work and so now you're saying not only do we have Tom Hardy, but we have Woody Harrelson, an actor that also knows how to go big if he needs to, as Carnage, no less. Cool. <laughs> let's let's yeah. see what that yeah. is. I want to. I w- the first one. Um, I just have I this in front of me. Forget. No, I. Uh, Ruben Fleischer, the director of Zombieland, starring Woody Harrelson. Ah, yes. <laughs> a director I'm not a big fan of. Um, so. <laughs> So yeah. it's a it's a trade up in my opinion as far as getting Andy Serkis in here, who, <laughs> and, who admittedly is only I mean he did beyond, beyond the second unit stuff for the Hobbit movies he's he did um what the the uh, the other Jungle Book movie Mowgli, um as well as that one random drama with Andrew Garfield it's like so he's he's got his experience going but um, Hacksaw Ridge no the no the the oh, other yeah. drama involving Andrew Garfield <laughs> that that same year I believe Breathe it's called Breathe, um regardless. Yes, I'm I'm excited based off hope that the film is like, let's do more of the thing that worked, you know, and less of the stuff that didn't work. If it captures sure. that, then cool. I mean, I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as it stands, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Again, great title. Uh, arrives at theaters June 25th, 2021 now. Wow. Yeah, so you got some time. Um, yeah. The other movie that comes out is called Bios. We've seen nothing huh. of this movie, but I'm going to read you the plot description and then the stars, and see if you sound interested. Okay. So here it comes. You guys ready? Okay, I'm ready. An ailing inventor, the last man on Earth, builds an android to keep him and his dog company, and journeys on a and goes on a journey across the country. Take my money. The I don't. Fil- I don't. The film. Need to hear the who's film is in it. Oh, here it comes. The film is directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who directed. Who he, he directed some of the key like action-heavy episodes of Game of Thrones, as well as okay. Repo Men, that Jude Law movie. Okay. It stars Tom Hanks. Oh. Yeah, uh, you you had me at Last Man on Earth builds a robot with his dog to travel. <laughs> Plot description was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Like, at first I was going to make a joke about, like, Last Man on Earth with Will Forte, mm-hmm. and then you, you brought in, like, some humanity into it, and I was like, no, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> the the robot is played by Caleb Landry Jones. Uh, he's famous for all those X-Men movies, right? And he's in that one. I mean, he's Banshee uh, or whatever. But he's also, you know, he's generally sweaty in movies. That's what he's famous for. Yeah, he's, he's, he's also sweaty. in um Three Billboards. Three Billboards, where he's surprisingly not sweaty. That's his like non-sweaty role. He's he's a good guy in that one. And he, and uh, Get Out. He's the brother in Get Out. 
Uh, oh, that was him. Okay. The, like the one that plays like yeah. Rock, lacrosse or whatever. That's right. <laughs> and he's an asshole. That's the other quality of him in that movie. <laughs> I think a lot of people are in that movie. <laughs> also, it says Skeet Ulrich is in the cast. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> wow. I mean, I he's been on Riverdale. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, that's where Skeet Ulrich has been, I guess. I don't watch it, but, you know, I listen to podcasts and they're like, Skeet Ulrich. You listen to Ulrich cast? I do, yeah. That's We should trademark that. <laughs> Ulrich cast. Let's go talk to our attorney right now. We could probably get him on <laughs> if we tried that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think he's too big. I now Tim Allen maybe. That's that's your go-to. You don't think we get skilled <laughs> on the podcast, but Tim oh, Allen would oh, be like oh, lining oh, up. Oh. I don't think so, Tim. Um, okay, so I've described. So Wait, we've got way. Thing? We've got way off topic once again, Peter. What do you what do you think of this premise? Actually, I'm I'm. I'm totally like looking it up on Rotten Tomatoes and I was like, I was like, actually, I would totally watch that. Like, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, 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 it sounds like the kind of wackadoo sci-fi thing where I, I, yes, I don't know if I'm, I think Tom Hanks would sell me, um, on most things. It, but it definitely sounds, it sounds like the kind of thing that like, kind of like Greyhound that I would hope would pop up on Apple plus or something and be like, well, I'll check this out. Like, would I have gone to theaters to see it? I, I would have had to have seen the word of mouth. I'd have to see like, are people saying it's good? Like, but yeah, yeah, the premise is like certainly interesting. I'm trying to think if Tom Hanks has done much sci-fi. Like, Cloud Atlas comes to mind. Cloud Atlas. Like, yeah. but has he done like, like genre all that often? Not genre, but but um, he just he did do the pretty pretty fairly maligned even though i'm somewhat okay with it he did the the sci-fi it's not super sci-fi but the the one where he's like steve jobs um oh oh the circle it's like yeah where it's like an eye thing i wouldn't say that's that's not sci-fi though that's it's like not, but it's but it's a technology it's that's, a tech thing but it's not like yeah. set in, it's not set in the future <laughs> no, no no it's not but it, it is i know still, what you're saying yeah yeah i um, guess that yeah that's more of like a and that's like so like I just Which, showed up for a couple days. I mean, kind you of movie. could say that big is sci-fi, but you know, big whatever. Is, big's fantasy. That's the no, it's it's sci-fi. Oh wait, what was? I never saw. What about the hologram title one? What was that? The hologram for a king. That's a drama. It's a it's yeah. A that, that's drama. not that's not a technology. That's movie. it. I like that movie. That's I, him like, falling in love. It's such. I mean, that's that's a that's a part of it, but it's mainly yes. it's him having a, a midlife crisis. Like that's the movie. Yeah, I remember that you said it was it was actually pretty okay. It's pretty good. Like it's a solid movie. Yeah. I'm trying to th- what okay. what else is sci-fi? I mean, like, there's some fantastical like things, but for Tom Hanks, for Tom Hanks, I'm, I'm looking at his filmography. Like, there's mm, probably some of the Toy Story movies. But again, like, that's you know, that's it's not sci-fi. It's 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 mm. fantastical to a degree. It's animated, obviously. It is kind of weird thinking that in that era when we got Event Horizon and Sphere, we didn't get a Tom Hanks one where he's in one of those spaceship like alone. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, the closest you get is like Apollo thirteen. Oh, that's, 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 but that's like that's like that's like a that's a historic. That's not sight. That's not sight. Contender, it was. But that, it was that, that, that happens. Like that's yeah. the difference. Well, so I guess he did the best one. Yes. Exactly. I guess the, like the the Burbs is the closest he's gotten to horror. Well, no, there is a horror. There's like one of his first movies is a horror movie, I guess. But uh, oh, well, uh, Jover's Volcano is kind of fantastic. It's fan- that's fantastic. That's what I'm saying. It's fantasy. Like it's not like a sci-fi movie. Like, no, no, no. It is. No, you're right. So like Cloud uh, Atlas, I think is like the only example of like a, a straight up sci-fi movie with Tom Hanks in it. And he's he's very good in it. He is good. In it. Oh, great. Yeah, he's great in it. Um, he yeah. swore on that TV show that one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was on like the Today Show or something, and he said "fuck" on accident because he was trying to like quote one of his characters, and he like got too into it. Did, did Lord Michaels fire him? Mm, you know, Tom. No. no thanks. 
For two, <laughs> two things. Great Lord Michaels. <laughs> we, we don't we don't rave enough. We don't about do how Lord Michaels your, enough. We don't we don't rave about your how good your impressions are nearly enough on this show. But Great Lord Michaels, and also no, he didn't get banned there because he didn't dress up as like a Rastafarian guy like Adrian Brody that got him banned. Is that, did that really happen to Adrian Brody? Yeah, he just when he was introducing Sean Paul, he randomly like put on a Rastafarian get up and introduced him like oh that, and then he God. and then he was banned forever from a Saturday Night Live. <laughs> The more you know, NBC, yeah, Saturday Night you. Live. <laughs> exactly. This has been Saturday Night Live's 42, which is the, the year's number of seasons that they've been on. It's been it's like 48 now. We're, we're, clo- we're closer, we're closer yeah. to 50 than 40 at this point after that special. <laughs> um, okay. The BIOS comes out April 21st, 2021, assuming it doesn't get pushed anymore since we haven't got you know anything on this movie beyond the title and premise. Uh, but it does, yeah, I agree. It does sound interesting. Um and yeah, Tom Hanks tends to work, so let's see how that happens. Okay, so that's what we would have talked about like this week. Let's get to our main review for Dick Johnson is Dead. Just the idea that I might ever lose this man is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking. Just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. <laughs> he said yes. She kills me multiple times. Action! The resurrected dad. Yeah, resurrected dad. <laughs> but now it's upon us, the beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, sweetie, your father is a wreck. It's just inevitable and a part of who we all are. Yeah. The fact that he's willing to keep doing this. Right. He's doing it for you with love. He's doing it for me with love. Yeah, he'll do anything for me. Can you just, like, put one arm up against the wall? Like, yeah, that's nice. That should have been some of the trailer for Dick Johnson is Dead. Dick Johnson is a retired psychiatrist suffering from dementia. His daughter, acclaimed documentarian cinematographer Kirsten Johnson, chooses to film these later years of Dick's life, and the two agree to stage elaborate imagined versions of his death using various violent accidents. Thanks to the use of hired stuntmen and makeup artists, we see things like Dick falling down the stairs and getting knocked on the head by a falling AC unit. We even get a fantastical version of Dick going to heaven as Kirsten continues finding ways to deal with his impending death. This is Johnson's second directed feature following the acclaimed Camera Person, which not only had footage from all of her years making documentaries in numerous countries, but also featured footage of her own mother, who died after complications due to Alzheimer's in 2007. With this more direct focus on her father, I'll ask you, Peter, how did you feel about Johnson's efforts to create a unique display of admiration for him? You know, uh, as a person who, um, just to be uh, full disclosure, my my father, um, who's uh, still with us, uh, is, uh, does have Alzheimer's. And so when I had heard about this, 
the premise intrigued me because I was like, oh, this is such a cool idea. But honestly, I wasn't sure if it was something I wanted to watch. Um, but uh, I'm tr- I was trying to think where we, who I would compare this to, and I guess it would be um, who's the person who did like Thin Red Line, th- Thin Blue Line? Oh, uh, Errol Morris. I guess that's what I would kind of compare. Um, but yeah, I was. I have to say, for something that I was. Like, ah, uh, do I really want to watch a movie like about this, even though it sounds like there will be nice there will be a nice amount of humor, you know, and obviously because it's her father and stuff, you know, there'll be a lot of warmth. Um, so but I was a little hesitant. I was a little like, eh, is this something I want to watch? Um, so um, but I'm glad I did. You enjoyed the movie? I did. I I I found wait, I forgot. Do we, I mean, because this is a movie, do we talk spoilers a little? I know it's a documentary. We can get more into yeah, what happened. We, we get more into yeah. what happens later on, but just some overall thoughts is what we want right now. Overall, no, overall thoughts. I thought that I thought that the way she used the staging of her father always accidentally dying. I think that, because there's a part in the movie where we talk about where one person thinks it's going to be like a murder thing. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's more about like, you know, he, a guy accidentally hits him with a block of wood or whatever. Um, I thought that 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 worked really well, I thought. And, of course, I will say I'm also kind of the Errol Morris thing. I'm also a big fan of, like, I feel like there was a period when we would think documentaries are just essentially, like, movie versions of, like, 60 minutes, where it's just, like, it's just talking head and then footage. And I really like how a lot of documentaries now have become so, I guess, cinematic. Like, there's a lot of, like, color there's a lot of really cool visual effects and stuff. I mean, it's a pretty, a pretty robust like experience. If that makes sense. It does yeah, totally. I agree with you. Uh, I will just point out right away. I'm not a monster. I'm aware of what Peter is going through, and that's why I asked him very specifically. <laughs> I didn't know if he wanted it. I asked him if he was comfortable coming on to talk about this movie, just because I, th- I thought. I, I would be interested to hear what his opinions are in a movie given his closeness to a similar situation. Uh, so I throw that out there. It's not like oh, I wasn't. Yeah, of course, was, of course, absolutely. Yes, yes. I wasn't blind to what's going on. But um, <laughs> I, I, I will say um, I, I'm with you as far as I appreciate what this movie had to offer. I do think it, it does a really good job of giving you this this guy that's full of life. Like I, what I think the biggest takeaway is Dick Johnson seems like a great guy. Like that's, that's the main impression I get out of this movie. And I think that that goes a long way for you appreciating the kind of dark sensibility that this film has dark, humorous, darkly humorous sensibility. This movie has to get you in on the kind of thing that they're going, that Kirsten's going for with her, with the, with her father, because you, you see these elaborate scenarios and they're fun and all, but there's also a sense of poignancy coming from, how they're talking about things and where things go from there. And I normally I can do a little bit more, but I, I'm trying to be somewhat vague because I want us to kind of get into it as we go. So I just want to get to Abe. Abe, what did you, what did you think of Dick Johnson's Dead? Uh, I, I quite enjoyed Dick Johnson's Dead, and I think I enjoyed it on multiple levels, uh, as I'm sure we'll dig into. One of the levels that I dig is that – that I dig? One of the levels that I dug <laughs> is that um, – uh, I enjoyed what you just described, which is the human aspect of the subject, right? With mm-hmm. with documentary documentaries, sometimes you'll get a documentary that is an interesting idea, but in the wrong hands. And I'll use example of what I just talked about recently uh, this year, where I caught up with um, 
three perfect strangers or, or three identical strangers. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, this is an interesting documentary. I think that they just they they misstepped on some parts where it was more interesting, and they definitely uh, misstepped on like some uh, further events that was like way more interesting. Um, and so it also felt that it was, it was too serious for what it was trying to do as well. Um, and they came at an inopportune time. Whereas with Dick Johnson is dead, I, Kirsten Johnson is a documentarian and also a cinematographer. So she has like, she knows about like coverage and she knows about like her own father. Right. Obviously. And so it really helps out that she's super intimate with like the subject matter that she's filming and like how she's trying to do it and why she's trying to do it. Because what then happens is that it bleeds into other aspects of their lives and her, his life, her father's life, like the seven day Adventist about like, you know, having to be accepted and like being afraid of being left behind and all this other stuff. And so like, it's important for him to, to see it now. And so that I can experience it with him. Um, and those are very impactful because it then weaves into not just learning about Dick Johnson, but they're like feeling empathy for this person and also feeling empathy for their situation. And as these doors are opened and revealed, um, it becomes very it, like by the end of it, I was like, I feel like I know Dick Johnson. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I feel sad about this. And there was a part where I was like tearing up quite heavily. Um, it wasn't toward the end. It was, it was toward something else. But in any case, it, it's like, you know, <clears throat> what really works about this is that it's a unique take. Yes, because they also have like flights of fancy in this. But then they also have a lot of personalization and that personalization has led to a lot of like, again, openness. And when you do that in documentaries, it actually really helps elucidate like a, a strong attachment and a strong feeling with it, you know? So, you know, Peter's not wrong in that some documentaries are very prone to just be like 60 minutes or like maybe a Ken Burns type thing. His, his are more historical. So it's probably not the same. He'll, he'll have historians talk about, situations but they definitely are in the past um like you know abraham lincoln's um uh team of rivals type situation but you know when you have something like uh this where it feels like it certainly feels like a hoop dreams type thing where uh you really get to know these these characters that well or not even these characters these people that well but it is it's much more expedited and so i think the form of documentary has become way more interesting as the years have progressed. And we talked about this on the podcast. I think documentaries have become quote unquote more mainstream. Not that we were hipsters about it, but it's just more like it's become way more accessible. And so to have a documentary like this is very fascinating because it is a, an engaging documentary. You know, it's not shot the way that you think that documentary might be shot. So I think there's like three levels and three layers to this that really make this uh, a very standout uh, documentary. I, I mean, for one thing, I do treat it like I was a hipster towards documentaries because I only wear my pork pie hat. You're, I yeah, them. you're. Uh, <laughs> I, I imagine you being like uh, Ned Flanders is dead. We've done absolutely nothing, man. <laughs> we've we've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. Um, but no, I all of what you said, I'm I'm very much in line with here. I, I do think the movie, just as Peter mentioned as well, like there's such a, it's a very cinematic film for a film doing what it's trying to do. And as far as, you know, other, you mentioned Errol Morris and Thin, Thin Blue Line, Peter, I, I'd also call it like uh, Joshua Oppenheimer's uh, documentary, Active Killing, one of the best films of the last decade, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which very is difficult. very difficult and much more, I don't know, dire as far as the thing going. But I mean, there are, similarly elaborate scenarios representing you know 
ideas and just things that kind of actually happen to a degree where this is more fantastical than what could happen. But regardless, there is a kind of approach here that's almost surrealist in what it's doing while presenting a, you know, a nonfiction narrative of what this man is going through. Uh, but there is still this kind of these, like these flights of fancies or whatever you want to call them that are elaborate and funny and, you know, have this kind of, it's about death, but it brings a sort of life to the proceedings as far as getting these ideas across and how ignominious the deaths could be as far as how this man could live out the rest of his life, uh, where it's not just a matter of, you know, I'll be put down or what have you. It's more of like, what if it just ended? And I think that's, for me, that's a very huge thing. <laughs> um, the, 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 the idea of watching someone spend time with their father doing it this way and embracing the fact that he's going to die and embracing that in a way where it's like, well, what if it was even more or less than something that had to do with his illness and more just inconsequential mm -hmm. and having her kind of experiment with that, the whole purpose of this, uh, I, I found <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a quality there that I really admire. Like I, I, similar things befell me with my mother passing away where I just didn't have opportunities in the way that I would have liked to handle things. And it, it was watching a documentary where it's someone that's very much embracing all of the time that they have left with their parent. There, there's a lot there to kind of grasp onto. And then seeing how others respond to this as we get into it more, especially towards the end where not only are we getting these, you know, elaborate death sequences, but we're also getting like this depiction of what it would be if Dick Johnson arrived in heaven as well as a fake funeral for him. And it's the reactions in that last sequence in particular that really started getting to me as far as how hard this film's hitting. Not in a way that's making me just feel devastated, although there's devastating aspects to it, but as far as recognizing what this film is doing for the people in Dick Johnson's life. And and once again, expelling out just what, a, what kind of a great guy he seems to be, which I, I kept finding to be like a fascinating aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I also think that, like, I, I think she does, to, to your point, to what you just brought up at the funeral, is that the more I think about it, the more I'm like, she she really manages to to kind of, like, express how emotionally, for everyone who is close to, to Dick, that it's actually kind of not a fake funeral. That's what's so weird about it, is that it's like... It's, a, it's like a living funeral. Like, the, I know that exists. Because, uh. because of, like the person that he was and obviously that, you know, memory and everything. It's like, they, they, they are very much mourning this person. So it, it, yeah, it's, it, it was an interesting because when, as the scene plays out originally, I was like, wait, I was like, Oh, he passed away. I was like, Oh, that was, you know, it's so fast and everything. And then you, and then you see him. I think, I think the first time we know he's alive is, is it, I think it's, he, he's waiting outside the church, right? He's, he's at the doors. He's at yeah. the door. Yes. Yeah. And so he can see what's happening. And I was like, oh, OK. But like you see the his friend who gives uh, a little speech and everything. He's pretty emotionally destroyed. I, I mean, mean, we get we get a shot of him reacting to this. And yeah. it, that's heartbreaking. It honestly is like just what yeah. he's going through in this moment where it's like it's just some guy that knows him. And like he has all these emotions packed into it. And you just see that it's just so like potent. <laughs> Yeah, completely. Oh. But I, I think that there's also this this aspect, you know, to take a step back and then get into like what Kirsten Johnson was was doing and kind of 
preparing, right? So mm-hmm. this said, Aaron, you mentioned that this had uh, this same disease had befallen her mother, right? Yes. Um, and so her mother had passed away. And well, it was and it, to be clear, it was Alzheimer's for her mother, dementia for her father. But yes, it means similar things. Similar, I mean. similar brain malfunctions. Yes. Um, and so the thing about it is that. Uh, because they were caught off guard with the the mother, and also maybe not caught off guard because it, it was a long passing. Dick Johnson says this in the documentary. I think the thing is like she just wanted to document it much more. I think one of the the devastating parts about this movie, this documentary, is that she mentions she just doesn't have that much footage of her mom, um, and it, it kind of like was an empty void for her to some degree. And so what's fascinating is like, hey, let me try and correct that by doing this. It's sad that she has to do it with her dad too. But the the other thing is like, um, like it it helps mentally prepare her for the loss of two parents, um, and then you know in doing so she's creating yes all these fantastical situations and elements and maybe even some even more depressing sad ones with like this this um this funeral type situation. But I mean like at the end of the day like what a celebration of life you know what I mean like let me just. Let me give you a glimpse as to like what may happen and provide you comfort as well as provide all these other people comfort in this space that will, you know, ultimately be where you will be. But at least you'll be able to hear it and at least you'll be able to to uh, experience how these people uh, will praise you and, and what have you. And again, this goes back into like why I think that there's a lot of layers in this documentary. Um, they, they do get to the point about his religion. He's a very religious guy. He still attends church fairly regularly. And uh, again, one of like, the greatest fears is being left behind on Earth without being accepted into the pearly gates kind of thing, right? So here's a manifestation of that. And I thought that was beautiful. I thought it was really nice. Well done. That Let me think about how my father feels about this as well. Um, and let me incorporate that in. Because I think we've seen some documentaries where they, they definitely take advantage of the subject. Like not Not this one. But you have seen some documentaries where it's like, why are you pushing this narrative? Like, this is not a natural narrative. You know what I mean? And so it's really nice that this plays out in a way that is, um, I guess, metaphorical, but also, like, it hits in a lot of different places, and I thought that was really nice. I will add that, uh, like, I suggested that we watch this movie for the review this week, and I'm very happy you enjoyed the film. I mean, I know you like documentaries, but I, I am very happy that you've responded in the way you have, because I do think there's a lot of really powerful stuff here. I'm glad, glad for both, yeah. for all of us, actually, by the way, Peter. I, I, I'm happy that we all appreciate what this movie... That's it. It's not like I'm against the idea of, talk, you know, battling you guys on movies we disagree How on. How dare you? But I, I, I did think there's something special here as far as what this film's trying to do and how it approaches death and how it approaches this father-daughter relationship, which is another thing I wanted to get into. I, mm-hmm. As much as it's on Kirsten's side and she's literally talking to the camera at very, in her closet, no less, at various points to kind of provide context and her thoughts and feelings, you also get this, like, you get a lot of, you know, what Dick Johnson's going through, obviously. you get. I like saying him by his full name, by the way. It's just fun to say Dick Johnson. Like, it's because mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, when I say Dick Johnson, I think of that, just that big smiling face and his big laugh that he has. But you get a set, I mean, as much fun as it is to see Dick Johnson being involved in this, there's obviously, you know, things that are making him sad in this movie, like the fact that he can't drive anymore. So, like, there's there's little moments like that where you you can see through what he's trying to throw out there as far as being a pleasant man and understand that he is, you know, he's, uh, he's recognizing the fact that he's losing, you know, his stability, I guess. He, he's not going to be able to be as wry and active as he 
you know used to be able to be which is obviously you know that's it's unfortunate it's not great to have to like look at situations in the face like that but you still see so much coming out of him you see so much energy and life coming out of him and also there's the the notion that whether or not he's super into the idea of having these elaborate death sequences and how morbid that could or macabre that could be you do get the idea that he just really likes spending time with his daughter like if that's a if that's a way to have him bond that's something he could do and he's clearly embracing it the best way he can so i i, I really liked that you know to make a movie like this you obviously have to agree to certain things and he's going for it because why not like why there this is something that he can share in these quote-unquote final days that he has to you know have an expanded relationship that you know would be preferred as opposed to just being kind of sent off or whatever and not having that same kind of uh intimacy yeah and i think this gets through what peter you're talking about and peter i'd love to hear hear you chime in about it a little bit more is the way that this this documentary seemingly ends before uh um the the whatchamacallit um i what's the what's the proper way to term it before like the appreciation of life ceremony uh-huh. or the the appreciation of life uh, uh part of the movie like the way that the documentary ends at a certain point like with an ambulance i'm just like ah okay so they did go still a traditional route you know it becomes like just the way that it ends right you know you typically would end a movie if this was a movie with like okay cool the rise fall redemption and like the death of like the hero kind of thing um and I love how this one like just subverts it. It's like it even subverts it up to the very last frame of the movie, um, because I think part of what uh, Kirsten Johnson is doing is like what I'm going to use the term that you you uh, that was used in an article that Aaron sent over to me. She's creating an immortal life for her dad uh, through this documentary, and it's in every corner. And what I mean by that is like. Is he alive? Is he not alive? He's just alive, and every like you think it's gonna be down, but it's actually up. And like I think there's like a lot of like fantasy and and um, time play that they have in here uh, that I'd love to to hear you guys um, your opinions on. I mean, I do think that I mean I would credit like and again I have no idea if this is a documentary, um, and I don't know if there's another um, one that has done this, but the closest one I can think of is the Aquafina. Was it the farewell? The farewell. Yeah. yeah, the farewell. The farewell ends also with you have a character. You I shouldn't say a character. You have a you have a person that is it is sort of resigned to you know probably dying. And both of these movies end not the way you think. Where the farewell, it's very much like farewell is more that uh, I think she has cancer. She, she does. Yeah. Cancer is that what it is? Yeah. Yes. So, um, and then I mean, the, and given, I mean, just to, sorry, to, just to, oh, I mean, that movie is based off Lulu Wong's actual oh, that, grandmother. That, I mean, so it, I mean, there is a, it's not a documentary, but it's based on a reality of a situation. Oh, yeah. Sure. So. Right. No, you're right. Right. Cause I think we see her at the end of the, at the we, end. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Right. But, um, I think this one, uh, what I was kind of, I think what happens and this is, you know, obviously I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but. I think because Kirsten has footage of her mother, who is in a pretty, pretty late stage of like, you really can't, she can't, she can barely kind of communicate with her. Like she doesn't realize that her daughter's in front of her. She doesn't really know who she is. So she's like pretty far gone. So when I was watching the movie, I was like, well, wait, are we going, 
Like I know that from my own experience, I'm like, that takes like years. Like it takes a long time to get to like that stage. And, and the Dick that we see in the movie, the Dick Johnson, we see the movie, like he has a few moments, but in general, like you said, his personality comes through, his warmth comes through. And what we see with the mother is so much of that, you know, sadly is very much gone. And it is a strength of the film, but obviously must have been very hard for Kirsten and her family that she, unfortunately, both of her parents, you know, suffer similar things. But as a movie, it works really well because it's like we see, yes, we see the mother in what we can imagine is could be what Dick will, you know, Dick Johnson will eventually be like. But we never really see that version of Dick Johnson because because of where the movie ends. And frankly, I'm relieved of that because I I like. I like the version that we see. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say was um, that I kind of like how, because maybe it's because she's a DP and a director, but mm-hmm. the way she has her father be comfortable on camera, it's pretty interesting because he's not an actor and stuff. And like, there's a moment where I think it's like Halloween and he's got this outfit on where are there like hands by his side? The oh, whole, those are his hands. Yeah. It's his hands, but it's all very weird. But he has a very matter Dick Johnson through the whole movie has a very matter of fact quality to him. And so even if you put him in this kind of ridiculous outfit, he doesn't really play it up, but he also doesn't look uncomfortable. Like I think there's only one moment where um, one of the fake deaths, there's like a um, kind of a Monty Python S blood that's coming out. (laughs) Yeah. And And it's very funny, but you, but I think she says something like I, I think we need to stop now. I think he's just getting tired. It's yes. just like, can't just keep doing it. It's the it. one where, like, it's not a matter of going too far. It's just like, I don't even know what to react to this with at this point. It's like... Yeah, right, exactly. But but I really, I thought that that was really, to Aaron's point about what a likable presence Dick Johnson is, he just, yeah, he just seems very, again, like, either matter-of-fact or natural. Like, there's not really a self-conscious aspect. One thing I wanted to ask you guys is, the movie is full of, like you said, it could be like seen as like surreal imagery. He has a love of, um, I guess, chocolate, chocolate cake, like yeah, chocolate yeah. frosting and chocolate center or whatever cake. We see that a lot through the movie. And there's a, there's one section where I think his grandkids make make him a chocolate cake. And you kind of see how the chocolate cake has kind of been destroyed, but he's like eating it. Did you guys think that even though these were true events? Is she alluding to some some is is the cake some kind of metaphor or something? It just feels like it comes up a lot in the movie. I do, but at the same time, like I kind of like disregarded it too. Not not like in whole, but because it's mentioned earlier that he's had a heart attack before and it was caused by a triple chocolate, double chocolate cake, right? So it's it's just like a metaphor for death for me, like. Not not that it's like a negative thing. It's more like an intonation of like, well, it's here and we accept it and it's just around us because it comes up in, in oh, other forms other than cake, too. He has chocolate ice cream and he's like, I love chocolate ice cream. Oh, you know what I mean? So. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. But I think that what you guys are saying is, is true, which is also the warmth of this man is just comes through the screen. Aaron, you mentioned this and Peter, you also mentioned this as well. Um, and again, when you get kind of that level of attachment within a documentary subject, I think that's like when it becomes the best. You know, 
this movie or this documentary reminded me of a movie. It was The Weatherman because Michael Caine also has like a living funeral in, in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, you know, like you get it, right? You know, the appreciation of life kind of thing. The documentary that sort of like made me think about uh, or that I also came to mind during this is Stories We Tell by Sarah Pauly. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, very much and, so. Yeah. And kind of like the idea of that is like just family right but it's also the way that she construes some things within it not that she's making it up it's the story the storyline is all true but you'll you'll kind of get like this kind of a reveal toward the end about maybe some things that are happening there and it's a little bit more of a play on on how you remember things versus maybe how they actually happened but still it's it's very fascinating when you use your own family as like the subject matter and i think that's where things are much more powerful um so yeah, I mean, like I think the I want to ask you guys about like the the part about um uh how should I phrase this? It's kind of like the part about where like it is the Halloween sequence, but at the same time, like it's also like there's um there's an aspect of like. Mm-hmm. Uh, loneliness and family, right? Sure, okay. And what I want to get to is, like, you know that she has a brother in this movie, so, like, or in this documentary and in real life. Did you guys have any thoughts about, like, well, why doesn't he appear except for, like, in one sequence of this movie, or of this of this documentary? Uh, a mix of things, I'd imagine. One is he might just not have wanted to be very much featured in the documentary. Mm-hmm. The other is you know, she's the director and she wants to make a very specific narrative and it's about her relationship to him and what she's experiencing in his impending death, right? Mm-hmm. And let alone Dick Johnson as well. Like it, I, I mean, there, you know, it's a documentary. So I assume that she shot hundreds of hours of footage and maybe there was a version that tried to incorporate more of her family and other people. And ultimately this is, I mean, this is an 89 minute movie. Ultimately what she came away with was this version sure. of the documentary. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot, there's unanswered questions there. Yeah. And, and uh, it's not as though I'm like trying to like, I hear you yeah. pinpoint him or, or be like, Hey, what a, what a bad brother or bad son. It's just, I am curious about that. Yeah. Um, I just, I just, I mean, beyond looking into interviews with her, I just can't speak to what no, the, totally. reason, yeah, what yeah. the reasoning and... would be. But I do, I mean, I, I mean, the, given the situation being at hand, regardless of whatever choice was made and why, there's got to be difficulty associated with this, obviously. As much as she's trying to embrace this in a, if you want to call it a lighthearted way, you can. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, they as a family are having to tackle and... Mm-hmm. If there's, regardless of how much representation of her brother and other family members there are, there is in this film, I think the fact that they have what this is ultimately must mean something to them as opposed to having nothing to go on. Like I, and I, I can't begin to express how unfortunate it is for lots of, you know, people that are close with their parents or wish they had more things to do or have more time or whatnot to kind of continue a relationship even after they are gone, but I'm I'm very grateful the fact that my mom was on the podcast as much as she was, as I've you know I I have an assembled episode that's featuring a lot of the clips, let alone the the other episodes as a whole, but it's it's very easy for me to just put that on every now and then and just have this you know 30 minute episode that's entirely me talking to my mother about movies, yeah, and having a doc- minute. 
Exactly. Having a documentary like this where it's just pure concentrated look at Dick Johnson and how great of a guy he seems to be and how we're relating to him at this stage of his life, that has to mean a lot um, to, I I imagine, even her brother as well, as little featured as he might be in this film. Sure. Yeah. Just, again, not not a... uh... I agree. No, but I mean, it just... I get you. It it hits you. It, like just looking at this and thinking of like, how are others responding to it? How would her brother is responding yeah. to something like this? Yeah. I'd also just last to say that um, it's a very funny movie, or it's a very funny documentary. <laughs> yes, it is. Like, it it's like I'm not even talking about just like stuff that happens that you see. It's more of like the way that things are revealed or explained. Um, I think one of the parts where I was confused, but also very tickled by, was when she's like. I live in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City next to a one-bedroom apartment where my kids live with their two dads. And I was like, I don't know how any of this works. But that was very – the way that it's delivered, it's funny. And also there's a part where they go to Loma Linda, and that part is, like, hysterical on its own. Like, he just – They go to where? Wait, they go to where? They go to Loma Linda because he goes to go visit his old, like, ex-girlfriend from college. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And that part is just, like, it's hilariously awkward, but also, like, what a charmer this guy is. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, they're all handsy with each other. Like, they're in their 80s and they're handsy. And just, like, oh, these guys clearly still have affection for each other. But also, like, I the, the flip side to that is also I was, like, they also are just what remains during that time. So it was also very heartfelt. Um, One of the things also that really got me to, and it's a a small thing is when he's leaving Seattle, he is off his, is uh, you know, they're taking his stuff out of his office. And this felt like a very much a, this isn't necessarily a, um, uh, someone being sick thing, but they're, they're doing that thing, especially if your parent is older, where like um, they're packing the box and I'm looking at that box, and I was like, mm, that box is pretty heavy. And then, like, he, he, like, picks it up, and she's like, oh, you probably shouldn't carry that. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, that that is very relatable. It's like that's very much the kind of thing that I, you know, grandpa or, you know, older parent could do where they're just – obviously, they've got so much on his mind on, on his mind of, like, you know, closing his uh, – his he was a, a – was he just a therapist for – He was a clinical psychiatrist. Yeah. 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 So, it's like – MD. <laughs> I also really like that they add the uh, basically the new outgoing uh, voice message. About, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's retired now, but of course, if you need help, you know, go to the, you know check these services or whatever. But like, I really liked that. I, I thought that whole sequence worked really well. Um, and again, just seems very natural. Like Abe, I I I sort of see what you mean about we see the kids, and obviously we see every we all see all these people at the funeral. Um, but in general, the movie is very much kind of like a two hander. It is very much her with the crew and like Dick Johnson. It is not really interviewing a bunch of family members and stuff like that. But it, it I mean, I don't know. It, it, it feels, I mean, obviously it's by design. It's like, and then like Aaron said, who knows how much footage she had. Maybe there was more stuff with the brother for whatever reason, like maybe, or maybe the brother didn't want to be in the duck. I don't know. Um, but it, I think it works very well as this, you know, like, again, she's talking to the camera or sucking in the closet and stuff. It, it very much works as a piece where um, it is her reflecting upon her relationship with her dad. Like mm-hmm. that really is the focus. And so That's in that point. way, I think it works really well. Totally. I, um, 
as far as humorous things go, I, I like seeing the stuntmen that were involved, and I liked every shot of when they're like staging a sequence and you see both Dick Johnson and the stuntman dressed like Dick Johnson at the same time. <laughs> That's always funny. <laughs> yeah. The first time we see it is when, it, in the very beginning, when, the when they're auditioning him. And then you see one of the people to help him up, and I was like, he's wearing the same clothes as him. Like, uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I like seeing like all the additioning he's doing in the like in the office when they're like talking to the stunt guy and he's like, "What if I got in the chair and I tipped the chair over?" And, uh, like all the little examples. <laughs> Obvious style killing. Yeah. <laughs> right, his feet will just shoot up in the air, like uh, yeah. And she has to clarify, it's like, oh, it's an accident. We're <laughs> <laughs> not murdering him, like. Uh, uh, yeah. I also got to say that like I think this is very much the kind of movie that. Um, I mean, of course, I don't know what the future holds with technology and camera, but because she is also a DP, um, there is a lot of not just um, not just visual effects. Like there's a scene of him in his office where uh, I think he's he's in the Eames chair and it floats. It floats. Yeah. Right. Which is a visual like that's that's a post effects like trick. But there's other stuff where like I'm assuming because she's using some really great high speed digital cameras where we're just seeing these really nice moments of like kind of like tight shots on his face, very well lit. And it's kind of, I think kind of like a slow motion. So we can see kind yeah. of react. And it's like that kind of stuff feels very um, new or modern, like, but in a good way, like it really feels like she's, she's utilizing like, again, the, the technology of the time to like really craft these great sequences. Yeah. Um, which I thought, which I thought was really cool. I'll, yeah, that's, um, great, I'll, that's a great point about technology and, and the use of it for other mediums other than filmmaking. Like this is a documentary filmmaking, but yeah, you're right. I'll just go out and say that a camera person, the, the film I mentioned earlier, her first feature, <laughs> um, is terrific. It's a it's a really great documentary that's less about like this. Obviously, has like a some something of a narrative through line. That documentary is literally just a lot of like random footage she has from all of the different pro- from many of the different projects she's made over the years and all the countries she's visited and it's mm-hmm. all assembled together to make this kind of near free flowing type of look like fly on the wall type look at things from a unique perspective in addition to having some footage of her mother and what she was doing over the time to kind of interweave it with some of the documentary stuff she was shooting so it's yeah. it's a really if you if you like sorry when when was that made I think a couple years ago at this point, um, it's on it's on the Criterion channel. I know because it's on Criterion also, but I know you can find it on the Criterion channel. But it's uh, no, it's 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 well worth checking. Like especially if you like this movie, it's well worth checking. Twenty sixteen, um, but it's it's well worth checking out too. Um, as far as uh, films she's made and like how the style and you know what have you. Like she you know she's shot documentaries for a bunch of people like Michael Moore. Uh, Citizen, was Citizen 4? Citizen 4. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. she's also a cinematographer for Fahrenheit 9-11. 9-11, yeah. So, yeah, she's, she has, like, decades of experience doing this kind of yeah. thing, so it's not surprising to see and so, yeah, a, I mean, a, a like, movie like Peter's this point, that looks as good as it does. Yeah, exactly. Like, to Peter's point, it's like, yeah, she definitely has access to, like, uh, cameras, and she also probably has, like, great cameras of her own, uh, for sure. But, you know, that shouldn't stop anybody who wants to... Um, document like their own parents lives or their own documentary like you know nothing should stop you from trying to do that so like, this only got some wheels spinning for me of just like yeah maybe i should you know go and record some conversations i have with like elders that i know you know because they're always like 
telling me stories about like when I was young and I was like, I'd love to hear those now that I'm older and I appreciate it much more. For sure. Oh, for sure. That's the kind of thing that I would, I was always, I, or we probably all, all have of like, you have your, your grandparents. Yeah. So like, Oh, you should talk to them about, you know, what it was like. And of course, as a kid, you know, you might not be interested because you know, you're, you're an idiot, you know, you're a kid, you know, cause I said, but, <laughs> but like, but yes, absolutely. There are definitely things where it's like, ah, oh, I wish I had like done that, you know, like I wish yeah. I'd recorded and things, you know, I mean, I think most of us have photographs like, you know, right. of things, but um, yes, any kind of way of, of, um, of, of um, archiving, you know, um, people in their stories. And yeah. I, you're right, Aaron. I didn't think of that, but wait, was that stories we tell? Was that what hers so, Abe mentioned Sarah that, Pauly. yeah, stories. So, yeah. Documentary, or Abe, yeah. That was, I, I really like that one, too. That one's a lot of, like, is that like 16, like, that's much older. Yeah, like, there's older footage, yeah, and there's a, like, yeah. There's a, and there's more of a mystery through line. In exactly. That. But, yeah, but, but, like, but, but in terms of, like but yeah, but in terms of kind of, yeah, I had, I understand the, the similarities there for sure. Like, there's a clear kind of through line you can find there. Um, all right. Okay. Well, I think we've talked about Dick Johnson is dead quite a bit here. When should people go and see this film? It's on Netflix. Should they put it right at the top of the queue? Should they wait for it? what? What have you, Peter? What? What? What do people watch this? I, I would say like it's not it. It you know of course as we are saying that while Dick Johnson the the man is is very charming and likable and stuff and there's a lot of warmth. It, it also can be pretty sad. I mean obviously because of the subject matter. Um. Like for me, I thought it was a really nice movie to watch on Netflix in the daytime. You know, I watched it in like the early afternoon and like, I don't know if it's like something like a, it's not like some, it's not like watching like a scary movie or some big movie at night, you know, or whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think absolutely if you have any interest in the subject matter, you know, um, people should watch it um, soon. But I would say it, it's the kind of thing that you can watch Again, like I feel like a daytime, like I don't know why I'm saying that, but for some reason it doesn't feel like the kind of thing I would watch before I go to bed. That's all. Sure. I can understand that. Yeah, it's... I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Abe, how about you? Uh, on our old rating, I'd say that yeah, you should you should check this out in theaters. Um, and then I think on our new system, it's on Netflix, so you don't you're not necessarily paying for it. But I would put it at uh, a higher point in your queue. I think it's like worth documentary. I think it's a worthwhile documentary film to check it out. Not just for the subject, but also for like what Peter and and Aaron were talking about with the technical aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, you know me. This is, this movie's 89 minutes without credits, so right there, it's like you're not. There's not a huge investment here of time. So if you like documentaries or you just like what you're hearing as far as how this one's constructed, I don't see a reason not to watch this right away before it gets lost in the shuffle, which things easily can do. It's not yeah. too long. It's a good watch. It'll play on your emotions but there's also a lot of there's honestly a lot of joy to come out of it as well as far as seeing the things that someone's able to do by being able to spend this kind of time with their father as macabre as some of the concepts are to begin with mm -hmm. um so i think there's just, there's just a lot here to recommend and i'm very happy we were able to talk about it this week on the show um also I'll, I'll just throw this out there there is a los angeles times article that i'll put in the show notes that gives you kind of an update on where things are with dick johnson so if you're curious to hear more of that story that'll be in the show notes for this episode okay let's uh let's move on now let's get to some uh, let's get to some feedback 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 this is where we go over the various questions and answers on our facebook page facebook.com podcast we go over a number of the questions uh 
<laughs> we go over a number of uh, answers that listeners gave us to questions we asked, as well as some questions they asked for us to answer. And uh, so let's do this thing. Um, first question here. What are some great documentaries about historical events or figures? Chris Light's Last, Last Breath or The Dawn Wall? I'll just throw out here. There's there's less feedback than we got one question that has a lot of feedback, but there's less feedback than normal. I have to imagine because Chris is in England um, <laughs> that the current events of the day have probably left him less distracted than what's going on in America. <laughs> so he had more time to look at <laughs> more time to look at our out now feedback this week. So good on feedback, you, Chris. For, uh, feedback. Thank, thank you, Chris. Good, good on you, Chris, for answering all the questions. Every question yeah. for sure. And but I'm you know I'm aware. There's a lot going on, so it's not always easy to check in the old Out Now Facebook page. Oh, there was a lot questions. of things that went on on Thursday evening, Friday morning. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so I understand attention being taken away. But feel free to get on to the Out Now Facebook page because we, we like to ask questions and everything. Get as much feedback as we can. Anyway, great documentaries, not about historical events or figures. I mean, I mentioned one of my favorite documentaries of all time, probably the best documentary ever, Hoop Dreams. Um, that's not about a historical event or historical figures. It's about two kids from Chicago trying to play basketball. I can't deny that either. Hope Dreams is terrific. Mm-hmm. Peter, any uh, great documentaries you love that are less yeah, concerned with? Pretty much figures? all my favorite documentaries are kind of like what we t- our main movie today. I mean, I'd say my two favorite documentaries are Crumb and Grey Gardens. I, oh, yeah. I, I usually find documentaries interesting. It's less about like we, we look the 2010s was very much an era of uh, I know so many people who love true crime shows and documentaries and stuff. And like, and and, that, and that's totally fine. I'm not <laughs> saying that that's bad or anything, but like me personally, it's not I, my thing either. Yeah. I'm always just way more interested in a person that, you know, or, or I guess in great gardens, it's, it's a mother and daughter, but um, yeah, I just find it. I just, I, I like the way of like getting into a person's world and really getting, getting to know this to, to live in their skin. That is sure. my, favorite even though again of course i you know there's the michael moore ones or stuff but yeah so i would say those two probably i mean i'm assuming you guys have seen those like yes yeah yeah fantastic is great i do want to i mentioned very quickly that for some of these you know american crime story type not american crime story but but crime documentaries true crime documentaries some of them are done well but some of them are very heavy-handed um in that they're like, well, this is what happened here. Look at all these photos. And one movie that I think that you can watch that it does true crime very well is Zodiac. Um, oh, yeah. What, what I mean by that? <laughs> like, no, no. But what I mean by that is like David Fincher lived in the Bay Area when it happened. And he also has like investigated this on his own. So in effect, he's making a documentary about who he thinks the Zodiac killer is with all these actors. Sure. But it's well done in a way that's like doesn't feel like and then the the woman fell down the stairs and look at all this blood and like and then her husband did it. It's like and then the reveals like her husband didn't do it. It's like there's none of that goofy shit in Zodiac. And so like (laughs) that's what I don't like about some of these Netflix documentaries that are true crime. I'm like, this is just over the top, like sensationalist type documentary. Not that not that I don't appreciate it, but more just like if you if you feel as though they're all the same, they're not. You know what I mean? And so if you want to see like a serious one and it's in the guise of a movie, but when you watch it, it doesn't give you a definitive answer about who the killer is. It just gives you what David Fincher thinks the killer is by putting all these clues together. He is 
the Jake the Jake Gyllenhaal character in this movie. No, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to our next. Question. All right, well, the next question is. Oh wait, wait, Aaron, what yeah. would yours be? Oh, I said I agree with hoop dreams. I mean, it's hard oh, to okay. like. There's other examples I could like pull up if I if I thought about it more, but it's hard not to say just hoop dreams is really like one of the best things. Uh, like and. I don't know, like Man on Wire. I guess that's a historical event, but I really do love Man on oh, Wire. I like Man on Wire. But yeah. it's like, but that's, I guess, a historical event, right? But I mean, it's it's different. Like, it's, it's not, silly. you know, it's yeah. not like the Civil War right. or something like that. It's it's something specific to a certain guy who's not necessarily like a, you know, a, a figure you you read about in history books or whatever. It's a pretty unique scenario. Yeah. yeah. Um. Dave Chappelle's Block Party. There. That's there you go. The Fugees. I absolutely love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Michelle yeah. Gondry's best movie, in my opinion. Uh, the next question is, what are some favorite, uh, what are some great father-daughter films? Uh, thank you, Chris. You also wrote Interstellar and Hannah. Both great picks. Uh, I would add in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> That's a good pick. Yes. Father-daughter. Uh, hmm. A recent one, Leave No Trace. With, uh, oh yeah, I just saw ben, that. Ben Foster yeah. and ben the Foster. um the young actress who was in Jojo Rabbit, who's yeah, her name. Me, but that's a, such a good, such a great movie. Um, keep going, I'll think of it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, Peter, did you have uh, father-daughter movies? I can't believe I can't think of anything right now. Um, good father-daughter. It's so funny. I mean, because of video games, I think of The Last of Us, um, which is oh. Now- yeah. Well, they're not literally. They're fun. not. They're not exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you do get that attachment, and by the end of it, you're just like, I feel very attached to these two characters. How can I? That's so weird. I can't believe I can't. Thomason McKenzie is the name of the. Yes, actors. thank you. Yeah, I was like, it's a very similar name to like Ben Stein. Well, we got it now. So <laughs> she's also the one in the Natalie Portman box. Is that her too? No, that's um, that's the the act. She was in Tomorrowland. Um. Oh, the girl who plays the android. I don't know why they remind me of each other. She's she's English. The one at uh, Thomas and McKenzie is Australian. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, it's weird. I can't think of. I don't know why I can't think. I'm sure. Oh well. Oh well. Okay. No, it's not. I was gonna say Gravity, but is Gravity? I guess that's mother daughter. Is that what that is? I mean, sure, but there's not even, like, another character in that movie beyond. <laughs> like, it's more of, like, I have memories of this thing that happened. Rafi, Rafi Cassidy is the one you're thinking of from Vox Lux. Oh, okay. All right. Just to throw uh, that out there. Um, here's one. What did you pick? I can't believe I can't think of a father-daughter movie. I have one. I have one. Matchstick Men with uh, Nicolas oh, Cage right. and Alice. Yeah, you know. Underrated. Wait. Uh, okay, wait. Uh, and a little tiny tangent here. Um. <laughs> I have a thing where I love to call things that I love underdogs. Um, and hilariously, I will say something like Taylor Swift, who is insanely popular. Uh, Aaron is always chiding me for that. Would you say Matchstick Men is an underdog? I wouldn't say underdog because that's a different term. But as far as like underseen or underappreciated Ridley Scott movies, given how you Ridley Scott's synonymous with very specific movies. So the random drama with Nicholas Cage, the con man movie he did with Nicholas Cage once, like that doesn't stick out as prominently as gladiator alien or blade runner. Um, that in mind magic men, I put like, if not top five, Scott, at least top 10, Scott. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's excellent. I think it's an isn't excellent that movie. The, isn't that the actress from um, drag me to hell? Yeah. Alison Lohman. Yeah. Ooh, I guess we're retired. She was oh. really, 
I don't know what happened to her. She just kind of stopped that. I mean, you know, people do different things. That's all. <laughs> Both of those. Um, yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah, that that is a really good one. Sam Rockwell also. That's just a good movie. Does he dance in it? He does dance in it. There you go. <laughs> it would not be a Sam Rockwell movie if he did not dance. Uh, all right. Great. Yeah. You mean like War of the Worlds? There I you go. That's that's yeah. a father daughter movie. There you sure. Go. There you go. Far, uh, Teaches her about baseball. Oh my god, wait, I can't believe it. I just watched this movie and I loved it, and I just talked to Aaron <laughs> and I can't believe I need to think of this whole time. Don't blame me for your oh, failings. Uh, Sophia Coppola somewhere. I was I was surprised you didn't bring it up. I was trying not to say it because I thought I figured you would. <laughs> I was like, how did I not say that? It's like I did not yes, there you go. That, yeah. Somewhere is I like somewhere quite a bit. Which uh, by the way, um uh, I just saw 10 minutes of this movie fear.com um steven dorf yeah. steven dorf run however it's steven dorf and because of watching somewhere i was like oh this is funny because it's almost like his character being in one of these cheesy kind of dumb hollywood movies like because sure. he's playing that kind of an action guy or whatever yeah i was like oh it's like him in that movie like he's playing into this fantasy that people like steven dorf Yes. People don't like Evendorf. I no, I'm being mean to Made Vampire I th- villain from Blade. I think I think he's very good in the movies that are quite good with him. Because like, I think wasn't he in True Detective. Yeah, he's very good in True Detective season three. I get him. In oh, season. I was like, which season? He Sometimes played I, Vince Vaughn. He <laughs> no, he's Wait, he's who's in Scream. He's not in Scream. Skid Ulrich. They're, they're both, full circle. Yeah, they're both post Johnny Depp like kind of actory guys that's what i yeah i can see that there's kind of a like i'm eccentric but i'm also like you know kind of dirty yeah <laughs> here i am in a here i am in a white t-shirt smoking a cigarette for a photo exactly yeah exactly, exactly. white white, yeah. white t-shirt cigarette actors yeah exactly. <laughs> that's the new wtcta actors <laughs> all right let's we gotta move on let's go right. what are some great films where a filmmaker directed their own parent or vice versa parent directed their children uh, Chris has The Godfathers, Rumblefish, and Outsiders, all featuring Sofia Coppola, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Films where the filmmaker directed their own parent, or vice versa. I have one. Uh, I have two, actually. Uh, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, John mm-hmm. Huston directing Walter Huston, his father. And then uh, Pritzi's Honor, John Huston directing Angelica Huston, his daughter. Oh, wow. I went, with, I went the Huston route. Yeah, definitely. You know, they they don't have any problems. Yeah. Um, I wonder, like, I it's technically not a parent. I mean, it's just because uh, the only thing that comes to mind super quickly is Noah Bumbach and um, his wife or his partner. But that's not a father or that's, that's not, not a father, like a yeah. relationship. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so Pursuit of Happiness. Nah, because we'll first we'll feel they're not direct. They're acting. Not the director. So, yeah. um. Hmm. Surely you can think of some examples. No, the, well, the, the Godfather would, is the big one, but so like that's an obvious one. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like uh, directing or vice versa. I'd like to see a vice versa, like you said, like the end, the um, treasure of Sierra Madre. Uh, hmm. Oh, I, I got. I, uh-huh. I got. Wait. Or Abe, do you want to go first? No, I was gonna say I had to look up lists, but now now I'm like, oh yeah, there are a lot. Yeah, there oh, are. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> look up lists, but there's Scorsese's uh, mom in Goodfellas, right? Y- yes. 
So that would that's a great. That's a great scene. <laughs> yeah, great scene. Even though I don't love that movie, I had. Um, <laughs> but yes, yes. <laughs> Great. Just court and controversy over here, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that, so that would count. So. And when we say court and controversy, it's Peter thinks Goodfellas is merely an A minus. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably about right. It's probably. <laughs> I just don't think it's the bee's knees like everyone. The yeah. bee's knees. Like, uh, I can't. What's another example? Uh, Richard Linklater for. Um... Uh, boyhood. He's oh, yeah. directing his daughter. Um, Judd Avatel. Wait, who's who, his daughter in Boyhood? The sister. The the sister in the movie. Oh, there's I got What what? Oh, Judd Apatow, You're totally right. Yes. Hold oh, yeah, what, what were you saying? You're talking about me? No, about Peter. What were you saying about Boyhood? Oh, I for I, I just said I'd forgotten. Oh, you forgot. I thought you said you didn't see it. Okay, never mind. Oh, I've seen Boyhood, <laughs> of course. I've seen, but, um, <laughs> um. Yes, Judd Apatow. That's a pretty good one because they're in a they're in a few of the movies. Yeah, yeah. and most <laughs> recently with uh, King of Staten Island. Yeah. Wait. So what would be the flip besides Trans? Do we have a modern one where it's the? I guess it would be the son or daughter directing their parent. Directing mm. their parents. Um, modern. You, yeah, modern. Uh, like like Jerry Stiller pops up and. Ben Stiller movies, right? Like the oh, Zoolander. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Although that movie's, I guess, like you know, nearly twenty years old at this point. So I don't know how modern that might be. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Okay. Is, okay. Is, is Scott Eastwood like a featured extra in some of Eastwood's movies? <laughs> he's got to be, or he's got like the key grip or something like that. He's got it. Yeah, I would think he's. Like Clint doesn't want to share the screen with anybody, but yeah, you know, he'll he'll definitely hire him as like a gaffer. Um. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's funny. All right. Well, next question. Yeah. Next question. What are films you feel have the darkest sense of humor? Oof. Chris writes Burn After Reading, Seven Psychopaths, and Come to Daddy. Come to mind. Good shout out on Come to Daddy, a movie I recommended recently. Mm -hmm. uh, Death of Smoochie. Okay. Bringing that back. Death of Smoochie. I haven't thought of that in forever. Uh, oh, wow. Nice. Um. I mean, just a. You mean just anything that's like, you mean Fight Club? What, like when you think of a dark comedy, what's the darkest comedy you can think of that you like? Uh, I feel like most of the stuff I like is. I would say in general, the Coen Brothers tend to hit that because even their dramas yeah. have a sense of humor, which mm -hmm. makes me think that there's a very, you know, dark sensibility going on there. Peter's thinking about this. this Very hard. Well, I was going to say, and then I was like, no, it's too light. I was going to say, like, Edgar Wright, but I was like, nah, like, his stuff his is... Are, his aren't, theirs aren't dark. <laughs> they're not really dark. Like, they're very stylized, but... Um, I mean, because, like, I, I feel like younger, the example to me would be Beetlejuice. I would be like, yeah, oh my god, that was... It, it's so... It's so weird and everything and like the, you know, in the, um, the Winona Ryder character, but by today's standards, I'm like, eh. Yeah, it's like, that's just like a macabre fantasy as opposed yeah. to like a dark, you know, a dark comedy about Steve Buscemi being shoved in a wood chipper. Like that's dark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the cones are, that's a pretty app. What was it? Seven. What did they say? They, what was their example? Seven psychopaths. What Seven else? psychopaths and burn after reading and, uh, and come to daddy. Oh, which I haven't seen. Yeah. 
Interesting trailer, though. I, yeah. It's on Amazon. It's a oh, good watch. It? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we if you think it's on Peter, feel free to just That's throw right. it up. Uh, the next question is, uh, who are some wonderfully eccentric older characters in film? Todd has uh, Up, uh, Carl Fredrickson, which, to be honest, Dick Johnson is like a grown-up version of that, but nicer. Yeah, he's not grumpy. Well, he's yeah. not... Like, no, like Carl Fredrickson is grumpy. His face looks exactly like the way that like they drew Carl as a young Carl <laughs> in the in the Up movie. Sure. I would say, um, just because it made me think of Cones, the uh, John Goodman character, John Goodman's character in uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, yeah, I guess he is playing older in that. But yeah, so sure. He's a okay. pretty cranky old bastard. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. that guy's pretty, pretty tough. Uh, to be fair, I said eccentric, and yes, I qualify him as eccentric, but I'm not saying exclusively grumpy. <laughs> oh, no, you're right, you're right, right. Yeah. But he's also very eccentric. Like, yeah. Sure. Uh, Bruce Dern in basically any role that he's done in the past decade. Yes. Uh, Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, Nebraska specifically, and then also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he is. Oh terrific. my God! Yes, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpected, and then he's like, "Holy shit! Why is he here? This is a great one minute of of movie." Squeaky. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That was you can't talk to him because I fucked his brains out. And you're like, is he dead? <laughs> uh, Aaron? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, not really going to top that, but... Um, uh, I keep getting the... I mean, I guess he's eccentric. He's driving a lawnmower. I watched the straight story not too long ago with... Um, Richard Farnsworth um, in the David Lynch film, um, and he, he's driving a lawnmower across America. So I mean, that's. I mean, you mentioned David Lynch as like a director, and it's like almost every any like older adult in a David Lynch movie is like. Or I'm sorry, I mean, David it, Lynch movie is like. I mean, even da- David Lynch acting in movies is eccentric. Like, so, I mean, that's, <laughs> you should, yeah, David Lynch in David in Lynch as an actor is eccentric. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know who who I think is a pretty eccentric character actor. He's also the character he's playing is a pretty dark character, but I'm trying to look up his name here. Um, John Noble in Return of the King. Oh yeah, okay. Like that's a pretty eccentric, eating his fruit or whatever, his grapes and everything. Like he's also a villain, but like I'd say that counts. Yeah. Just showed up on uh, the boys. Which I've heard great things about. Um... How about um. He won his Oscar uh, for this movie, Beginners, with uh, Plummer. Christopher Plummer? Never, I've never seen that. I <laughs> like Beginners quite a yeah, bit. Uh, he I, like pl- I mean, he plays like Ewan McGregor's father, and he just comes out as gay, and he's, you know, he's super old. And he's like, I'm gay now. And it's like, but like, I I get that it's a pretty like, of course this gets an Oscar type of performance, but I still think it's a really good performance. It's also very apropos for the, for the documentary that we just reviewed as well. Yeah. Yeah. Parents uh, dealing with uh, the later stages of life. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, great. Well, the next question is, uh, what's your favorite movie theater going experience with a parent? Todd writes, in, 19- in 1977 Star Wars with my dad, I was six. We snuck out of the house to see it so my younger brother wouldn't know. Also, Superman with my parents uh, in 78. Uh, Justin has Back to the Future. Day of release was the whole family, also Batman with my grandmama. We were waiting three hours in the heat in Apple Valley when we got 
uh, when we got it, we were all the way in the back. It was so good to finally see Batman on the big screen. Apple Valley. Yeah, he's out there in the desert. Uh, Chris has 2001 at Space Odyssey. When I was six with my dad, I had no idea what was going on, but had a huge bat of chocolate. The opposite was the thing with my dad when I was 11. Didn't sleep for weeks. Uh, that's a good dad, letting you see the thing. <laughs> also, just going to see the thing in theaters. That's a quite an accomplishment right there, because that movie <laughs> I don't know bombed. I people that did that. Yeah. yeah, movie bombed in theaters. So. I saw it in theaters. There you um, go. Yeah. I had to convince Chris- my mom to let me see it. Um, but she didn't go with me. <laughs> Chris and Peter probably didn't pet any dogs uh, for the next uh, year or so. Um, Jay has got the got to the end of the Fellowship of the Ring credits roll, and my dad looks at me and says, "Is that it?" <laughs> he didn't realize it was part one of three. Didn't overly enjoy it. Fantasy is in his bag, but he still came with me for the rest of the trilogy. He also slept through most of a bug's life. Memories. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. <laughs> that was fantastic. Uh, Tony has two things stand out for me, both with my dad. Went to see Transformers Revenge of the Fallen with him in IMAX, and he fell asleep during the action scenes near the end of the film, and seeing Guardians of the Galaxy with him, and us both turning to each other during the opening credits with a look that said the film was tailor-made for us. Uh, with my, at the time, new girlfriend and my soon-to-be in-laws, we heard it was a good movie, uh, a good film, and knew nothing about it. Awkward. <laughs> well... You made a great choice there, Tony. Uh, it's a great choice. Um, do you guys have any parent moments? This is a great segment, by the way. This is a great question. We we appreciated all the answers here. Yeah, it's I was, always I was, great to hear full fleshed out stories. Yeah, I was happy. I mean, as much as you know, I I'm happy we get all the feedback we do. I was happy that this one got particularly a, a lot more feedback than some of the other questions because I do think it's a fun storytelling segment. The um. One that comes to mind generally often is when my mom and I, we went and saw Batman Forever um, in theaters, and it was, like, it was the sold-out, like, midnight packed show. We sat in the front row because <laughs> it was packed. It was, like, it was just, like, everyone was going to see it. And uh, you know, I was younger at the time, but we still saw it front row center <laughs> seeing this movie, close as it was. And I still, I mean, I had a great time being able to see the movie with my mom. Did you guys stay for the credits and seal and everything? I mean, we you had to. Natu- naturally we sang "Kiss Kiss from a Rose" <laughs> and as well as "Hold Me, Kill Me, Th- Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me" from uh, YouTube. From YouTube, yeah. <laughs> and then you went to McDonald's and got their uh, high-end menus. I had the I had cups. I know that at the time I did have like some cups. I had the Riddler one. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Peter, any I, I strangely. Strangely, I don't think I I think pretty much once I was like a teenager on, I don't think I saw a lot of movies with my parents. And I've seen some movies with my mom, like, yeah, some. But actually, the one I would call out is strangely, even though, yes, my dad did take me to Star Wars, but he was never he's a big Star Wars guy. Like, it's probably big. Really. My dad really loves or loved all the um, I guess we would call those like late 70s early 80s like um eh, the saturday night live or slash national lampoon movies so uh so comedies well right like blues brothers vacation like all kind of stuff the the comedies from those guys at that period of time so you know john belushi dan caddyshack Caddyshack, like he loves that stuff so i (laughs) yeah yeah i would say that that absolutely is like a father-son like memory I'll throw in again. Ned? 
Ned Ryerson? <laughs> I'll uh, I'll throw in the. I mean, that's. I was gonna. I was just yes. <laughs> next like thirty seconds, but I won't. <laughs> Bing. Um, <laughs> With my for my dad, we seemed to like really like watching the monster movies together. So like we like he we loved watching Peter Jackson's King Kong in theaters, uh-huh. the multiple times that we saw it, um, as well as more recent years where we have Godzilla movies and Kong Skull Island and what have you. Like it, I I have a lot of fun with him getting to see those, and I keep telling him, unfortunately, Kong vs. Godzilla has been delayed yet again, <laughs> so we have to wait even longer to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Uh, well, the last question uh, is a question for us. Um, Chris has a question of, it's more specifically for Aaron. What happened to the spider? Has there been a lack of cricket? There has been a lack of cricket noise in the background. Has been a lack of cricket noise in the background. <laughs> but yeah, Aaron, what happened? To, what happened to Professor Dent? I, I mean, I could give you a great Professor Dent update. He resoaked, as people might know, tarantulas molt. Mm-hmm. Um, they literally get, they climb out of their exoskeleton yep, and have a disgusting. new layer. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> but when they do that, that means they generally shield themselves away for a couple of weeks because they just need to kind of grow into their new skin and they because they feel vulnerable. So they, I have him. He has his own kind of little tunnel that he's made he's a cave. Going, he's been going to therapy? Yeah, he's been going to therapy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he kind of keeps to himself as of late. That said, for the podcast, I'm very aware, as I mentioned before, that yes, when I feed him crickets, they they're crickets so they'll make noise so i try to time the podcast out now where every couple weeks where i get the crickets i'll get them either after we record the show or on monday so by the time a week has passed there's likely to be less cricket noise than there would have been if i had just got the crickets so it's just something that's on my mind now <laughs> no. now as you do our planet earth uh, segment of i don't know what their name what do cricket or what are the things do tarantulas eat crickets that's what they, they that's eat crickets. the only thing they eat is crickets i mean they can eat other bugs i'd assume but it's you know you can't go to a pet shop and say random bag of bugs please I mean, so you, <laughs> you cast for eyes for crickets and then like you know does he hunt for them like a t-rex uh well or is... i mean i i've tried putting them onto a little skewer and barbecuing them to see if he liked that but he wasn't into it so, in- so instead i just throw them in there li- i'm kidding i don't do that Peta. Um, but, um, <laughs> I don't think anyone from Peter's listening. <laughs> but not now they aren't. Um, but, no, I, I put them into his, his terrarium live, and he'll get them as the crickets are very dumb. They generally just walk under him, and then they're like, oh no, we're being eaten. Um, so, what? <laughs> no, literally, yeah. They'll just like, like they'll walk under him, and he won't have to do much. You should effort. make a documentary about Professor Dent's eating habits. And If uh, I could capture that in the amount of time, I, I would. I would be, I, I'd be like, you know, barf might be building up in my stomach to like, you know, as I watch it, but I, I would be interested to see. That. I mean, it's not like he's not a werewolf. He's not ripping them apart. Like he'll, <laughs> I could describe it, but it's much more disgusting than that. But it's also not very graphic to watch happen. Um, so it's pretty tame. It, yeah, but as far yeah, I mean, I get a bag of crickets, I toss them in the thing, and they'll walk around for a while, and eventually one of them will walk under dent, and he'll he'll you know go for it, and it's like oh, cricket had it coming. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> he thought that we could be decent people in a decent time. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> you, you know what they say, manners maketh man. Yeah. So let's uh, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. <laughs> let's uh, start wrapping things up here, because um, that's gonna do it for this week's episode about now with Aaron Eve. You can find more of my work in my personal blog, thecodyzeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing reviews at, at leeliveentertainment.com, Blu-ray reviews over at livesoblue.com, and the occasional filmmaker interview over at Variety. I'm also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, Abe.mua, and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose. Hashtag...
Peter Parrish, uh, go by the Friday the 13th. Uh, just that. Yes, that's all one hashtag. Nailed it. He really, yeah, he yeah. got that one. Hit it. Uh, you guys can find me at Why So Blue, although I've been terrible. I haven't written anything in forever. So, but yes, I'm at Why So Blue and on Twitter and Instagram as Pajamo. You can find all the other episodes about Now Their Name on Audioboom, Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. Interestability, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Feel free to email us at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Or write our Facebook wall, Facebook.com slash outnotpodcast, or Twitter at us at twitter.com slash outnot underscore podcast. And of course, our Instagram page, instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. I'll once again mention the Newport Beach Film Festival as of this recording is currently live, and I'll put a link to the show notes of how you can watch Honest Programs along with many other films there. And stay tuned for more horror episodes that will be coming all throughout October. Thank you very much, Peter, for joining us. Peter, thank you so much. Yeah, guys, thanks. I uh, love being on. Thank you so much. For sure. And until next time, so long. Hey, goodbye. goodbye.